We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, what is up, everybody? Welcome inside the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven, and I am your host. Joining me, as always, are my good friends, Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you, man, tonight. How are you doing? You're on mute, Alex. <laughs> You're still on mute. Alex, you're on mute. <laughs> Oh, he left. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> um, I'm doing great, start. Steven. Um, <laughs> what a start. Uh, fire in your super chats, everyone. Uh, I am doing well. I woke up this morning and figured, you know, should I watch film? Should I try to get a couple more guys in? And I went full Captain America. Just like, no, I don't think I will. And I just <laughs> did not watch any more film. I am over 150. I'm done. Um, but my my Zoom, my internet works, my mic works. I'm good to go. Yeah, you know this uh, this late in the process, it's it's a bit of a drag, man. I, I I've always felt that the draft should be before Easter, but you know I, I think four months in between the end of the season and the draft is a bit much. But uh, you know it is what it is. So uh, I actually did watch a couple of players this afternoon. I was bored at work, so I, I put on some uh, Nick Bonito tape finally. So I got to your guy. Um, and we'll talk about some of the players like that. So it looks like Alex is uh, about to reconnect here. So we'll uh, give it a couple minutes as potentially he is coming back. Maybe. (laughs) 
Here we go. Alex, how you doing, man? Uh, is it better? I don't know. I can hear you. <laughs> there you oh, go. I can okay. hear you and see you. All right. Okay. Uh, no, I'm, I'm doing good. Doing good. Cool. Very good. So, um, got a fun show planned for you guys today. Of course, we are a week out from the NFL draft, which is very exciting. There's a whole lot of possibilities. Apparently, there's uh, some recent talk of Iki Iquanu going number one overall to the Jacksonville Jaguars. So, uh, you know, this draft is just going to be super crazy. Can't wait to can't wait to uh, see how everything unfolds. So um, today we are going to talk about our big boards. So every year, of course, we grade players. We talk about positional rankings. And today we will see how it all comes together. So uh, in a few minutes here, Tyler is going to share uh, a Google slide of each of our rankings. We're going to go, you know, 50 to all the way to number one and talk about each player. So uh, it's going to be fun. Hopefully you guys enjoy it. Uh, before we get started, we're going to talk about some risers and fallers that we have uh, as of late. Players that potentially were higher on uh, than we were a couple months ago or lower on than a couple months ago. And players in that kind of realms, potentially some players who have shot up our boards or, you know, really rocketed down our boards and things like that. So uh, Tyler, we'll start with you. Who are two players that as the process has gone on that you have lowered and have been a little tougher for you to evaluate. I mean, other than the top offensive tackles after the big three, which I feel like is the easy answer, I would say some guys that have lowered are Lewis seen just a little bit. And that's kind of a response also to some Dax Hill going up. Um, but I know you really like him a lot more. So I'll let you talk about him. Nothing particularly bad for any specific reason. There's nothing like new tape. There's no bad testing. There's no, particular reason i just found other ways to like someone like a dax hill jaquan brisker a little bit more so he's fallen for me out of or he's still he's still in my top 50 but he's fallen a bit um i mean i guess i do want to talk about boy mafia guy that is outside of my top 50 um, i know it's a top 50 episode but he just didn't make it um he's one of the first guys that i watched that was one of those perceived athletic freaks um athletic tester guys and it shows sure he's fast as hell uh, and to his credit, I think he's really good at working the wrists and hands of other offensive tackles. I think that's really his calling card as a pass rusher. But then I started to get to other guys who are as athletic, maybe not as athletic, but very athletic, who are just a little bit more developed. And I just started pushing him down and down and down. And listen, you know, you have some guys that are maybe not so great against the run, but of our edge rushers on the composite rankings, he's second worst in run stop rate and second worst in run stop. So when your pass rush toolbox isn't that developed and it's not as developed, maybe as some guys ahead of you as is, and you're also by far the worst run defender, I do worry about your floor. So yeah, he has an awesome ceiling and he's definitely a guy that you'll put on your all ceiling team, but how much higher is that ceiling than some of the other guys who tested pretty well or about as well and are further along as complete defenders. So Mafe yeah. is outside of my top 50 and he just, I kept kind of pushing him down I really like him a lot. Don't get me wrong. I just find other guys a bit more complete who also tested very well. Yeah. You know, I think when it comes to Mafe, I think, you know, you watch what he did at the senior bowl and you see the glimpses of, you know, the week of practice that he put out there and you see a very intriguing player. And for me, I was always caught off guard, you know, I'd pop on Minnesota game tape and I'm like, okay, where's 34? Where's 34? Where's he at? And you know, he's playing like 20 to 25 snaps a game for Minnesota and, you know, barely playing 
against the run. And when he does, it's not very good. So, um, you know, there are definitely some concerns there. I think you are drafting him because of his athletic testing and because he's so unrefined. This past year was really his only season of legitimate snaps at Minnesota. And, you know, he's saying all the right things right now. And he said all the right things at the senior bowl. And I think it showed. So I think you're, you're potentially getting a, you know, ball of clay, if you will. But the film that he did put out is just, it's not pretty at times. And you look at, you know, what he did against Ohio state and it's just rough. And, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of Nicholas Petit Frere and their other right tackle. That's just a mammoth human being, but, um, you know, you watch him against Penn State against Rasheed Walker, and it's the same kind of thing. You know, he's getting kind of dominated and pushed around a little bit, and then every once in a while you see that dip and that rip and that club, and you're like, oh, okay, I can kind of get into it. And yeah. then just the more you go on, it's, you're not really seeing a very well-rounded player. Yeah, Alex, any thoughts? Mafia was the guy that I originally had in the top 10 as well. I haven't really pushed him down, but he wasn't going to make my top 50 anyway. He had it about six edges, I think. So, um, no, he, he wasn't a guy that I think was going to make it in regardless. Uh, in terms of yeah. risers and fallers that I had, uh, Traylon Burks was a guy for me who fell, not really because of what he did or because of how he tested, but just because I was like, well, I put Chris Olave at eight originally, which I was very unfair to him. And I apologize to Chris Olave, um, because <laughs> now I have him at number four. Uh, and then wow. I also, uh, moved up Sky more a little bit. So mm. I, I kind of rejiggered around the receiver rankings. So that did kind of push Burks down and it sounds harsh but he's wide receiver eight for me now um but that's not because he's doing anything wrong it's just because i think this receiver class is is really deep and i do favor more of those like versatile speed guys but that's just kind of that's just kind of that one uh the other one i will say when did we do the offensive tackles episode exactly i think it was a little that bit was before like the combine one, that was like our second episode i think receivers yeah was first. It, receivers oh, yeah, yeah. was first then then tackles was our second um, but yeah, one of the products of that and, and the fact that it happened before the combine was, uh, Daniel Follet because he was coming mm. off that senior bowl and then yeah. goes in and has a stinker combine. So for me, he was a guy that I think prior to the senior bowl just would have made like around the top 50 or would have been in there, but I just couldn't put him in the top 50, um, after, after kind of everything that happened, you know, the, the tape's not great either except for in flashes so combine that with the poor physical testing uh combine that with you know the other factors just around him in general including the senior bowl and i i did end up moving him down to where he would have been probably in february Go ahead, yeah i know I'm, I'm sort of right there with you philele is not in my top 50 either and he's someone i've liked less and less despite the fact that he's played really no games but it did start at that senior bowl really all these guys raymond ryman penning philele they go to the senior bowl and it's like, come on, somebody separate themselves. Because they were kind of close to me in my opinion. Like, if one of them was excellent, you could make a case that that person would be OT4, maybe at least OT5. Yeah. But none of them really were. And then you know, even someone like Jordan Davis, and I'm not saying this is Falele's fault. I do think he's a better mover than the testing. But someone like Jordan Davis went to the combine with a freaking plan to show you, listen, I will get in shape and I will test through the roof. And he did. And that's why he's going to go top 15 yeah. potentially. Falele, I know it's not his game, but he didn't. He tested really bad, 
And that's concerning because someone like Jordan Davis, who you have, you know, questions about his weight, his health or whatever his conditioning showed out. And he showed you that he's pretty committed. I'm not saying Flele is not committed, but Davis took it a step further and Flele just didn't check that extra box. So with the senior bowl, with the film and the questions as is with the combine, not being great. And I think he's not also one of the guys not working with Duke Manyweather. It's just a bit concerning. Yeah. You know, there, there are obviously offensive line trainers that, uh, are different than Duke out there. So, you know, that's not a huge concern, obviously. But, you know, the thing with Daniel Falele is that a lot of the drills that, geez, a lot of the drills that happen at the Senior Bowl, especially for offensive linemen, really either accentuate your strengths or they magnify your weaknesses. And so when you're watching tape on Daniel Falele, you see that he's getting beat inside quite often. And that he's doing his damnedest to overcompensate for that weakness. And then it goes to the senior bowl and everything is just put on display, man. And, I, you know, there were some light uh, edge rushers that really gave him uh, some problems when it came to speed to power rushes, which is really not what you like to see um, from a guy that size. You know, I think you go back and watch and you kind of see that. You know, he's somebody that really struggles with high pad level. And of course, you know, he's six, eight and he's, and he's so big, he's 380 pounds. Um, but I think he carries his weight. Well, I'm not necessarily mm -hmm. knocking him for his weight. I would like to see him get down to like 370 more so for the pad level aspect of things. But, you know, Philele is definitely somebody that I, I ended up having him like a fourth round grade on him after the senior bowl and going back and revisiting him. So yeah, um, that was a struggle for me as well. I get it. I have a third on him now. Yeah. So I think uh, one of my followers, I think probably the biggest follower was Jelani Woods. And, you know, this yeah. tight end class really gave it really gave me some fits, man. I had to go back and watch after we, we did the rankings. And, you know, after we did the rankings, everybody's talking about uh, Jeremy Ruckert as tight end one or tight end two or three or or Greg Dulcich as tight end one. And I actually really like Dulcich. So Dulcich has moved up to my tight end one spot. Mm. Um but Jelani Woods, like the more you watch him, you just don't see that athleticism translate onto the field. And so, right. uh, again, I think he's kind of a victim of being, frankly, too tall. And mm -hmm. also, like we see a too tall freak of Donald Parham move the way he does. And you kind of you kind of want to see that same kind of twitchiness out of Jelani Woods, and you just don't. So mm -hmm. yep. I think he certainly could bring a lot of value to a team. And he's a fantastic blocker. But I moved him from tight end three down to like tight end seven or eight, and mm. he barely made my top 100. So I think he is the biggest faller that I've had. Um, who's another one? I mean, I've generally the, the, the Trevor Penning thing has been kind of all over the place as well. But I think yeah. we've talked about him at nauseum at this point. Um, Kenneth Walker is another one that I, I think I'm, I'm kind of okay. lower on. I still have him in my top 50. Mm -hmm. Um, I still have him as a, a top three running back, but I think his lack of vision and his tendency to bounce really is concerning mm -hmm. to me because I think you watch a player with fantastic speed and he has that home run threat ability, but he is, he's almost like that quarterback that will bail out of a clean pocket at times where he mm -hmm. just would much prefer to get outside and go, you know, east and west instead of north and south. So I'm not necessarily like out on him, 
But mm-hmm. I think the gap between Brees Hall and Kenneth Walker became significantly bigger for me throughout the process. Yeah, no, I could definitely understand that. Kenneth Walker, same as you, my RB3, although I sort of have a 1A, 1B right now, which I'm cheating. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Kenneth Walker, I, I do understand there's something missing, but I do think he might be the best home run hitter of the class still, but you got to get there first. Um, as far as, um, oh God, what's his name? What's the title's name? Jelani Woods. Jelani Woods. Yeah, I, I felt the exact same way first grading him. I think he's fallen a bit for me now. Frankly, any of my tight ends from like three to 10 could be better than the other. Almost feel that way yeah. about wide receiver. But the tight ends, it's like whoever goes to the right situation, whoever right. has the best mentality and stuff we don't know about, intangibles, they'll be the best. Jelani Woods, you know, what round would you take Donald Parham in 2020? And he's a less twitchy version, although he can run faster. Like, what round would you take Donald Parham in the draft? I, like, I don't know how early I would take somebody like that. At least not Probably over like a, a dart throw, like round five, round six. Right, and and that's kind of you know I think I have a third on him slipping to fourth, because but that's mostly athletic testing. That's because he's huge and he can block. And there are things to like about him, but I completely right. understand why he's fallen for you for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think we talked about this in the tight ends episode, but one of my experiences just watching Jelani Woods is like, oh, here comes the guy with the 10 RAS. Uh, here we go. And then you start watching him and it's like, not really. Right. <laughs> um, I, I think that's right. kind of one of the things that contributed to just watching his tape. And he, he's a little stiffer than advertised. Um, but mm. like Tyler said, I, I do still like him. Uh, I think he's obviously one of the better blocking tight ends in this class. Uh, not that that's saying a lot because a lot of these guys are really <laughs> bad at blocking. Um, yeah. but you know, some of them are really good, man. Oh, sure. Um, but no, I, <laughs> I think that a lot of them just really struggle. Uh, and Jelani Woods, because he's good and because he has the best all around game, I think I still have him as T3 or 4. Um, I don't remember exactly from when we did the episode, but um, yeah, no, I still good, but I don't think he's like one of the better TE ones of any previous class that I'll like really remember. Yeah. No, this, this tight end class really lacks a, a true star. And I think even last year with Pat Fryermuth, like I think I, I, I would take oh, yeah. Pat Fryermuth over all of these tight ends. And I, I, I think Dulcich for me is kind of separated himself. Lousy blocker, like you're saying, but, <laughs> I think in terms of receiving versatility, you know, he, yeah. he gives you a lot of different right. options and ways to access the field. And so I think Dulcich really is kind of the most versatile mm-hmm. pass catcher. He's not penciled into like a big slot kind of role like a Charlie Kohler is. He can do a lot right. of different things. So, you know, Dulcich for that reason has kind of become that guy. I just barely have him in the top 50, though. So it's not like I'm crazy high on him. Yeah, no, I I totally get that. Dulcich was out of my top five when we did it. He's now my second tight end, tight end two behind McBride, which I think is pretty fair. Yeah. Um, It's when you grade the guys, you grade them on certain things. You have to grade them on blocking, obviously. And and again, that's that's not his thing. Yeah. That's not his thing. But at the next level, what are they going to be asked to do? So well, I hope so. I hope at the next yeah. level, he's asked to be more of that receiving threat. Yeah, and, and so well, also that, we've... Sorry, I was just going to say, we also saw Steven Anderson become a fantastic blocker after not really being that. So, yeah, true. as long as they have, like, I think Dulcich is a very willing blocker. Like, he will go do it. It's just not very good. So, I mean, obviously, <laughs> I'll the go hope do it. You, yeah, you. I mean, like, listen, if he can come to the Chargers, and I don't think he'll be there, you know, when the Chargers can afford to take him, right? But right, you get him with a guy like uh, Kevin Coger, who's a really good oh, tight yeah. ends coach and can kind of, 
you know, pull that blocking mentality and, and turn into a good technique, I think you can have something there. Yeah, absolutely. So as uh, Ron Speedy points out, I think we do have to point out mm-hmm. uh, David Ojabo. And I think Andrew Booth falls in this realm as well. Yeah. Um, if David Ojabo had not torn his Achilles, I would have had him in my top 10 because I mm. loved David Ojabo. I thought he had arguably the highest ceiling of any of these pass rushers in this class. Um, you know, he's got that bend. He's got the twitch. He's got the speed. He's got the uh, you know power that you really like to see. I think the run stuffing ability was kind of overblown because he just didn't really know how to do it. Like to me, it was right. just kind of technique and, and understanding where things were going. Um, I tried to lower him out of my top 30 because that was kind of our, <laughs> our cutoff. I, yeah. I really did, but I just, I like him too much. So, you know, he fell from the top 10, probably would have been in the five to eight range. And because uh, that's where I have Kayvon Thibodeau. Right. Um, but he ended up being 29 for me. So, he fell only because of injury, but I still really like him. I think if you're a team in the, if you could be a team in like the back twenties, right. I'm, I'd be okay taking a shot on him still because you have that fifth year option. If you're mm-hmm. like good enough to be able to take that on, of course. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Jabo fell. It's funny how that arbitrary 30 cutoff changes things. Like, oh, I got to get him in the top 30. <laughs> yes. Like 31 is less, you know, significantly less valuable than 30. Um, but yeah, Ojabo is at 32 for me for that exact reason. Would have been a top 15 at worst guy for me. Probably top 12, maybe top 10. Um, and then Andrew Booth does fall a little bit as well. He's my CB4 behind McDuffie. Um, ahead of Elam still because it's like he can still play and he can still play this year. Um, but the concerns are definitely there. So I have him ahead of Elam. Uh, but Ojabo and Booth are both out of both outside of my top 30 for the injury concerns. And then I guess because I'm sure someone will bring it up, Ed Ingram, not in my top 50 for other reasons. Sam Williams, outside of the top 50 for other reasons. Yeah. If there's somebody I missed, oops. Um, but some guys did get bumped down for that. And I guess not really Devontae Wyatt, but kind of um, for other reasons as well. Where do you have the bike thief? Oh, well, I didn't like him anyway. So uh, <laughs> like, I didn't like him as is. <laughs> so... <laughs> So there's Petit Freer. Rashid is uh, in my top 100. OT12. There we go. <laughs> OT12. So, Alex, <laughs> I know you didn't lower Ojabo in your rankings. Did he kind of push himself down your, your big board, though? Um, Not particularly. I, I guess the difference is bigger for you because I didn't have him as top 10 originally or was thinking sure. about putting him there. I kind of had him around maybe probably would have had him like 20 to 25. Um, and I think I ended up putting him around 33. So, you know, I still think I also wasn't thinking like, Oh, do I have to sneak him into the top 30 to like, uh, you know, get him in above an arbitrary number? Like, you know, some team's going to take him, and some team's going to be fine with having him sit out a year. And it's like, there's not also an exact science to this either. Like a lot of us are right. just trying to guess of like, okay, what time did the injury happen? You know, will he be able to play week one? is it a degenerative condition right like i mean that's what a lot of people talk about with someone like um carson strong for example um and you know his knee problems so i I think a lot of it is subjective and just kind of betting on which player you don't think will have the injury issue but yeah i I don't really think there's an inexact or there's an exact science behind it yeah as kapil points out like i totally understand Mm -hmm. the you know worry about him being less explosive going forward and i think 
you know, Achilles really is kind of hit or miss. I mean, we saw Cam Akers come back Jeez. in five months, I think it was. And and for the most part, he looked pretty good. You know, I think he kind of wore down a little bit because he was out of shape probably. But, you know, mm-hmm. the good news for Ojabo, you know, silver lining here is that he's going to have essentially 18 months to recover. You know, he's he's not going to be asked to play this year. I mean, if he does, great, obviously. But he's going to have this whole calendar year and then get ready for week one in 2023. So um, I think that is kind of the silver lining is that, he, you know, if this were happening during the season, you know, then I think that's a different story. I also just kind of wonder with Ojabo, is the team maybe more motivated to take him in the first round to some extent because then you're losing a year, but then you could get that fifth year option? Yeah. Um, so I think that that's kind of an interesting thing with, with his situation. If he really isn't going to play until 2023, you can still kind of get him on that four year rookie contract with the you know potential fifth year option if he performs well until then. No, I think that is, you know, absolutely right. Like, I think, you know, a lot of people have kind of penciled in quarterback for the Lions at 32. You know, we'll kind of see how that works itself out, obviously. But, you know, if you do have two second round picks. Mm-hmm. Why would you not take a chance on him? Or if you're, you know, the Texans who maybe trade out of 13 and get down to, you know, 20, let's say to the Steelers, why would you not take Ojabo just because of the upside at that point? Oh, Ojabo to Detroit at 32 is a really good call because they pick at 34 next too. So they got to get him at 32, get that fifth year option, pick up the guy you probably want at 34, obviously yeah. Michigan, Detroit and all that. So that's a good call. Appreciate it. I don't. I don't really buy them taking a quarterback early. To be honest with you guys, if they want seventeen, have at it. I know, <laughs> but I guess we'll see. Um, so Andrew had a super chat question a couple minutes ago. Wanted to get to that uh, before mm-hmm. we get to some of our risers. Uh, he said, "Good evening, bolt up. Make me a mod now." <laughs> okay, I guess that's the thing now. So um, he wants to know: Is this year's draft better or worse than last year's? Which rounds are more mm-hmm. important? So I think. In some it's in some cases it's worse. Like obviously the quarterback class is significantly worse. <laughs> yeah. I think the tackle class is also worse. But what I will say is that the depth of this year's class I feel much better about than last year's overall. And I think Alex kind of echoed a similar sentiment on Twitter today. But you know, if the Chargers can trade back, even if it's just down to t- to twenty, and mm-hmm. get an extra top one hundred pick, like I feel pretty confident that you could get two starters in the third round and like immediate starters. Whereas, you know, last year you're taking a Trey McKitty, a Josh Palmer, and you're kind of easing them into it as they kind of make their adjustments. But I feel like this year in in general, you can get two starters in the third round for sure. Yeah. And I think, I think it depends on the position you're talking about. Obviously, like, I think people talk about this draft as being worse than last year's and not as exciting because I don't think the first round talent is as good and I think the quarterbacks, I mean, mm-hmm. anytime you're going from Trevor Lawrence and Justin Fields and yeah. all of those guys to Jamar Chase. quarterbacks now, yeah, Jamar Chase also, like to, to what we have now, yeah, I mean, I think there's going to be pr- probably a little bit of a ratings fall and like I, I think that kind of stuff in the national media is going to get talked about. Um, but I, I think the overall draft is still fine. Like you're still going to find a lot of yeah. talent. I think it's probably a little bit more, even more deep for some positions. I talked about this with wide receiver today, like absolutely uh there's no receiver in this first round who comes close i think to touching like the the trio that yeah. was jamar mm-hmm. chase uh devonta smith and Jalen waddle 
But I was also thinking about it. I was like, I looked at my grades from last year and I had nine wide receivers in the top 50, just as I had nine wide receivers in the top 50 this year. Uh, But I feel a lot more confident, I guess, in the idea of having a Traylon Burks be potentially a star for a team that I do about like a Terrace Marshall, who is like, Mm. they're both Mm -hmm. my wide receiver eight. But I think one is kind of significantly better and has more upside than the other one does. So I think once you get to a certain point with some positions, you're kind of comparing them to pass traps and seeing which one's better. Um, I I would say the later rounds are definitely more important when we're talking about the Chargers, especially because they don't have a second round pick anymore. Yeah, that second round pick would be nice for sure. Uh, that's a really good call to looking at last year's draft and seeing how it compares. Obviously, yeah. the quarterback class is very, very different, although I have not watched any quarterbacks in this class, and maybe I would have loved them, but I'm not going to because we have, have Herbert. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think I would have. Uh, but you know, if you look at the third round, of, even if you're just doing the mock draft network, like there's some dudes in here. Like Dolchik is, is available in the third round, and Edding, well, Edingham for a different reason maybe, but Edingham's available, Canard. Uh, Spiller, Walker, you know, your RB1, 2, 3 for some people in the third round. Abraham Lucas, Alante Taylor, James Cook, Cole Strange. You know, a lot of these guys are available in the third round. That, like, that spot is such a sweet spot to me. There's like a 75 to 100 or so spot. There's a lot of really good players. Um, I'm sure there's better players in the second round too. I just have never paid attention as much <laughs> because uh, we haven't been mocking there. So, yeah. Um, but yeah, there's a good sweet spot in the third round. So if they trade it back out of top 100 and 125 sort of pick, I'd be all for that. Yeah, I, I don't think you're missing anything with not watching the quarterbacks either, um, per se, because you can only watch so much Kenny Pickett film. That's all. That's all I'll say. Yeah, you know, I I was doing a an LAFB like uh, roundtable mock draft, and one of the guys in that that works for LAFB with me is actually a Colts fan, and so he uh, traded like basically all of his day two and day three picks to get into the first round and took Kenny Pickett and I was like the heck <laughs> so he thinks Kenny Pickett is really good and that like there's a lot of love out there for Kenny Pickett I just I I personally have never like seen it that way mm-hmm. so yeah um all right so let's get to some risers that uh guys that we've kind of changed our tune on that we're really higher on now than uh we previously were or maybe some players that we were a little late to the party on you know I've got a couple mm-hmm. of guys there that I want to mention but Alex, we'll start with you here. Who's somebody that you kind of have uh, seen in a more positive light as of recently? Yeah, um, Chris Olave. I mean, we, we talked about him. I, I always just kind of viewed him as like the second guy to Garrett Wilson. I'm like, well, Garrett Wilson projects better for the pros, but then you can just look at those some of those Olave plays, uh, the way that he's able to route run, the, the crispness of them, uh, mm. how he you know uses his speed to his advantage and you know his body control. And you're like, okay, he's he's really complete. Like he's gonna go in the first round. Team's gonna be very yeah. happy. Like I, I don't think there's any chance that he's like a not to hurt myself too hard, a uh, Jalen Rager kind of player. Uh, and, and just, you know, just stinks from day one to, you know, for the rest of his career. Like he, he I think, is going to make the team very happy, um, even though I'm not sold on him as like a superstar wide receiver. Um, right. I do think he's going to be really good. Um, and then if I had to think of another guy that is kind of that way for me, I don't know if I want to say I was more positive on like the linebackers in general 
Um, but I think I sort of started with like, okay, well, Devin Lloyd's like obviously linebacker one, but I, I, I guess I was a little bit more positive on the linebackers after him, just looking mm-hmm. into Quay mm-hmm. Walker and Nicobe Dean. I didn't really have high hopes for them before I started watching tape, but then you start watching a lot more Georgia and you're like, okay, well now I like these guys a little bit more better and you see, you know, why they have the first round grades that they do in terms of, uh, the consensus and what they can do on the field. So I'll just say in general, even someone who I'm very unimpressed with, like uh, his past coverage and Leo Chanel, I'm like, he made my top 50. <laughs> he was number 50, but, but yeah. he made it. So I feel like the linebacker class in general um, behind Devin Lloyd is the clear number one uh, did receive a bit more of a positive impression for me upon, you know, rewatching and going back. So was Quay really Walker your LB2? Uh, yeah, he was. Okay. I wasn't sure if he stayed there or not. Mm-hmm. So, are Sega Whitesides changing a tight end? Um, is that a thing? I I have no idea. I've never heard of that. But also, JJ Sega Whiteside sucks. Like he he can't <laughs> he can't do anything right. I, I he could play. He can't even play wide receiver, let alone tight end. And I, I I've heard some people on mock draft shows like, are we really giving the Eagles another receiver? It's like, well, yeah, there are other receivers besides Devontae. Says suck. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, hey, Greg Ward's still my guy, but uh, no, okay. all the other ones have some serious question marks. Yeah, you know the the Chris Olave thing. Getting back to that, it is is pretty interesting because like when mm. in 2020 with Justin Fields, like the man was a deep bomb king, and he almost had a thousand yard season, and he only played like seven games, and everybody was like, oh, okay, like you want to see him be more well rounded, like you don't want to see him just be like the check a deep guy. And he, I feel like he did that last this past year. I, I really do. I, I'm not saying that he's, you know, become like this, you know, yak god. Of course not. That's not really his game. But mm-hmm. you've seen him become more well-rounded as a as a route runner. And now people are kind of like lower on him. I feel like it, it's just <laughs> weird to me because I feel like he yeah. did have like top 15 hype last year. And now this year it's like, well, maybe he's a top 15 guy, but he's probably like a top 22 guy. Yeah, let's see. Olave has, I think, stayed the same for me, or relatively the same. I will yeah, say, if you can trade back and get like a Sky more, I'd kind of rather just do that. Um, no, he yeah. he's more easily replicated than somebody earlier in the draft, right? Because yeah. Sky Moore, you have Bo Melton, who I really like, very similar. I mean, Jahan Dotson is very similar. Jalen Tolbert's very similar. So this is the draft. If you like those, you know, five eleven, six foot speedsters, route runners, kind of good at everything but not great at anything kind of player so yeah all right um go for it steven all right so one person that i really want to talk about here is daxton hill the safety from yeah let's hear michigan um i think when you first when i first watched him you know i watched uh his games against penn state ohio state and wisconsin Mm. and i think you see like I mentioned on our, our, our ranking show, like you see the top tier coverage ability. And that really was his, that was his calling card. Like that's what you see most often. He's playing as a deep safety, matching up against tight ends, matching up uh, against slot receivers. And then I watched the big 10 championship game against Iowa. And I watched his, the game tape against Indiana and they're using him as a blitzer. They're using him as a straight up pass rusher they're using him as a box safety linebacker and i just you you see him do more of these things and so he's a little undersized but it's 
not a hindrance of him at all. And I was really impressed with the physicality that he played with in those matchups. And so that was kind of my knock on him, why I had Brisker and Lewis seen ahead of him initially, because those two players are able to really be more physical. They have the size profile. But I think with Daxton Hill, you just have a player that can do everything, man. Like he can do anything that you could possibly want out of a defensive back. He can play deep. He can play in the box. He can play in the slot. There were times against Indiana where they put him out wide against their best receiver. And, you know, not to say that, uh, what was his name? I forget. Um, not to say that Indiana's wide receiver was like a top tier guy, but I mean, that all of that matters, right? The more things that you can do and have in your arsenal, I think matter. So Daxon Hill yeah. has really gone up boards. He's gone from safety four to safety two for me. And mm. he's made my list of players. I would like to see the charters uh, at least consider at 17, which was really not the case before that. Um, outside of Daxon Hill, the other one just kind of that's made a, a, a good size jump is my Jay Sanders. Um, mm. You know, unfortunately he did have the, the medical issue or, or weight issue at the combine didn't get to really test well, but he's somebody that I was more and more impressed with as the process went on, particularly against, uh, against the run and just kind of the power and motor that he plays with. I think he really is going to be a steal for somebody because of what happened at the combine, because he didn't get to test super well, but he's got such a good physical profile in terms of his height, his weight, his speed, his length really stands out to me. Um, so initially I had him, I think as edge 11, he's made my, my top 10 now. So it wasn't a huge jump in terms of the positional rankings, but definitely some, somebody that I have in my top 50. Yeah, that's awesome. I have a sort of round three targets video coming out tomorrow and Sanders is definitely on there as someone they should consider. So I don't know if he's moved at, um, a whole lot for me, but I, I do like him definitely. And he had some good showing at the senior bowl. Um, obviously against Daniel Falele. So that's, um, yeah, Dax Hill, I wanted to move him higher because a lot of people, a lot of Chargers fans, someone we interact with pretty consistently, really like Dax Hill. And I saw your um, Marcus Whitman interview and that was, that's his name, right? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Uh, that was a great interview and, and he has him really, really high. I don't recall how high, but he was like top 10. If I'm not mistaken. He has him ahead of Kyle Hamilton as safety one. And I, and I think at number eight overall, I can't put him at eight overall. I could, <laughs> I could buy why you'd put him over Hamilton. I don't. And I know you don't, yeah. but I could buy why to me. I wanted to move him up more and I ended up liking him more. He's my safety too. Again, it's sort of a projection of what he can do, what I think he can do the way he reads, the way he triggers downhill, all that, um, and just everything he can do all over the field. I just couldn't move him up higher than I think some Chargers fans want because he did give up 456 yards in college. Of our safeties, of the 26 safeties we have, he gave up a reception more frequently than anybody else. Um, with that said, though, I still have him in my top 30, and I do really like him. He has moved up. Um, I just couldn't quite move him into like that early you know, late teens, you know, to 10 sort of range. Um, but I do really like him. He did move up for me, for me as well. All right. I'll talk about some of my risers right now. Um, Leo Chanel has moved up for me. He's actually in my top 30. Uh, I switched him with the Kobe Dean. So Dean is now He's LB3. so fun, man. Chanel is, is now LB2 for me. It's just like, yes, the coverage... He's a guy who I didn't even think was all that bad in coverage as is. And all, all, he also has the RAS score 
and the athleticism to kind of make it work. If he plays at that lower weight that he tested at the combine, I think he was like 15 or 10 pounds lighter or whatever it is. So that's the route he goes. He wants to play lighter and some coach can work him in coverage. I mean, good God, the guy's got the eye discipline, the stack shed, the build, the RAS. And I just, I love any linebacker who can play downhill. And when you're number one, like average depth of tackle is becoming really important to me for linebackers and for interior defensive linemen. I'm trying to, you know, rank guys. And for him to be number one in average depth of tackle and run stop rate, but also fourth in pass rush win rate, you know, and third in pass rush productivity, it's like, what the hell? Yeah. So if you just get this guy to work on coverage or just, I don't know, blitz him every freaking third down, like if it's a passing situation, let him rock. Why drop him into coverage? Let him, I mean, he has to at some point, sure. But let this guy rock. So Leah Chanel has moved up for me to LB2. I really like him. Um, I, he would have been one of my guys. I think he kind of is, but also like I feel like everyone's kind of putting him there now. So I don't want to do the same thing. Um, another one is Josh Pascal from uh, Kentucky, a guy that I don't remember where I had him before. I think I actually first graded him as an edge rusher. I remember grading him as an edge rusher thinking like, and eh, like I think he's be a better interior defensive line player. And then sure enough, like, the more you find out about it, the more it seems like that's kind of what he might end up being or playing. Depends on the team, sure. But staying on the field, like players that can stay on the field because they're good against the run, that does mean a lot to me. If you can stay on the field because you can hold your own in the interior, along the edge even, against the run, that's huge. That's a really safe floor. So when you think of what he can do there and the, the quickness there and the fact that he can shoot gaps so well and then give him some sort of value in pass rushing situations it's like you can work with that and i think he tested pretty well if i'm not mistaken so he just has kept moving up for me he's in my top 50 not by much but he has moved up for me to idl4 right now yeah i'll take it man i, I love pascal and, and really it was the flashes when he kicked inside that really made me uh feel yeah. that way and so it was the same kind of process i know a lot of people think you can play on the edge I know that he kind of slimmed down a little bit to test as an edge rusher at the combine. I think his best role really is kind of that four technique, five technique yeah. kind of defensive end in a three, four scheme like the chargers happen to run. So uh, Daniel Popper had him in the mock draft that he most recently put up for the chargers in the third round. I would be ecstatic for that. I know Doug Kyad wrote an article about, him going way earlier than people are thinking and potentially being, you know, a top 40 pick. Um, but we'll see, man. I'm a big fan of Pascal for sure. Yeah, I don't I don't recall where I have everybody graded individually, but I feel like he's the best prospect out of Kentucky this year. Yeah, I think. Yeah, for sure. For sure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Um, all right, let's uh, let's transition here and we'll get to our uh, top 50 boards officially. Um, before we do, of course, have to give a quick shout out to our friends over at ExpressVPN, uh, where you can go start your free trial at expressvpn.com slash guilty. And you can get access to uh, Netflix uh, foreign videos. You can also get gain some cybersecurity as well. So uh, go give them a shout out, go show them some love and uh, check them out at expressvpn.com slash guilty. So uh, I guess my top 50 is up first. So we'll just run through, like I said, we'll do 50 to 30 each of us, and then we'll kind of move on uh, up that way. So at number 50 for me, I have uh, wide receiver Bo Melton from the University of Rutgers, Alex's uh, uh, favorite school, I think. And then uh, 49, Greg Dulcich, the tight end from UCLA. 48, the running back from Michigan State, Kenneth Walker. 47, Cole Strange, the interior offensive lineman from Chattanooga, who uh, Maddie Schmidt got to interview today. So that interview is going to be posting later. She is crushing it, and I love Cole Strange. Uh, At number 46, I have Jalen Petre, the safety from Baylor. 45, Christian Watson, the receiver from North Dakota State. 44, Jahan Dotson, the receiver from Penn State. 43, Myjay Sanders, from the the edge rusher from Cincinnati. 42, Louis Seen, the safety from Georgia. And 41, Trevor Penning the offensive tackle from uh, Northern Iowa. Number 40, Kyler Gordon, the cornerback from Washington. 39, Bernard Raymond, the offensive tackle from Central Michigan. 38, Drake Jackson, the edge rusher from from USC. Jaquan Brisker at 37, the safety from Penn State. Abraham Lucas, my guy, from Washington State at uh, uh, number 36. Linebacker from Wyoming, Chad Muma at 35. Traylon Burks, wide receiver from Arkansas at 34. Josh Pascal, who we just talked about, at 33. And then Tyler Linderbaum at 32, interior offensive lineman from Iowa. And then 31, rounding this part out, Arnold Ebiketti, the edge rusher from Penn State. I like it. Um, so someone already pointed it out. James C. in the chat says, wow, Ryman over Penning. What? Not that I'm surprised, but what sold it for you? Like, what was the switch up there? Did that change? Did you have Penning over Ryman before? Yeah, so initially I did have Penning over Ryman. I think the more that you watch both of those players, I think, you see better aspects of technique with Raymond. And so, um, you know, Trevor Penning really leaned into his identity as kind of that mean, nasty offensive lineman. That's something that Duke Manningweather has uh, talked about. And it really is a detriment to his technique. I think he is, frankly, obsessed with putting players on the ground. And that is okay to an extent, right? Like Tevin Jenkins, I feel like was that same kind of way. Uh, last year, but Tevin Jenkins was a much better technician, obviously. So I think Bernard, Bernard Ryman has, yeah, I'm still worried about the age. I'm definitely not taking him in the first round as a 25 year old rookie. Um, but I think in terms of like that 40, like 35 to 45 range, I'd be very comfortable with Bernard Raymond in that kind of area. And so I think he's just a better technician. I think mm-hmm. he is an underrated athlete as well. He didn't test completely like, 
the same level as uh, Trevor Penning. Um, but I, I, you know, he's very similar to Brady Christensen and Brady Christensen from BYU was in this same kind of range for me as somebody that just, I feel like is really solid and is a really good athlete, has some good athletic traits as well. So uh, I have them really close. I mean, 39 and 41, I almost put them right next to each other. Uh, but I had to, uh, get Kyler Gordon in there for sure. Well, yeah, I got a little bit confused before I saw the uh, title for the column being Stephen 40 to 31 rankings. I wasn't sure if 39 was his age or if 39 was the number he was at. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that and that is the only reason, honestly, that Ryman is behind penning for me. It's because of that age. Yeah. Now, if I went through and did that to every prospect, I think things might change. That's just a very well-known one, obviously, as a guy who's going to go maybe in the first round. So. Um, yeah, no, I love it overall. Um, Bo Melton, man, talk to me about him because I have not watched him yet. What is it about him that made him, you know, if you put him in his in your top 50? Alex, do you have him in your t- rankings? Uh, I don't have him in my top 50. He, okay. But he would be a guy that's like just, you know, wide receiver 10, 11, 12, somewhere in that range as, all, as well. So he would be just outside if I extended it, you know, past mm. that. Yeah, Alex also has three quarterbacks in his, so that, that kind of <laughs> yeah. affects things. I didn't put any quarterbacks in mine or or grade them, <laughs> but you know, I, I think Bo Melton really is is very slept on because of where he went to school and because of the offense that that school employed. Yeah, but I, I think you know the the Rutgers offense was just not very fun to watch. But I mean, you see Bo Melton, who at the Senior Bowl really kind of flashes as a route runner, as a separator. Um, had, in my opinion, you know, the best release package of anybody not named Calvin Austin, um, really was just shining in every single way you would like to see at the Senior Bowl as somebody that could, you know, play an X, play a Z, play the slot, just a do-it-all receiver. And then you watch him at Rutgers. They're throwing him contested catches. They're, they're using him in jump ball situations. They're using him as their yak guy as well in the perimeter. And so I think you just see a very well-rounded player and you're not necessarily expecting this high-end athlete. And then he went and ran, I think it was like a 4-3-7, um, right in the same range as Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson. So he is a very underrated athlete. And frankly, you know, I think he is essentially discount Chris Olave. I think there's a lot mm-hmm. of parallels there. I think Melton's a little bit uh, bigger, has a thicker frame. Um, but he's not the same kind of ball tracker that Olave is. That really is kind of the difference there. Olave, to me, is an elite ball tracker. Um, which is kind of something that has separated him. But I really like Bo Melton, man. I think he has some drop issues to clean up, and I think he has some deep route running issues to clean up, like I mentioned, the ball tracking. But if you can work on those things, I think he has the athletic traits to really be a high upside play, very similar to uh, Josh Palmer overall, except Palmer's not the oh, athlete okay. that Bo Melton is. Right. Yeah, I think in 2021, there's you know quite a few games to come to mind, but I, I like the his Michigan game. Uh, is some really fun tape to watch if you want to get a little bit of an introduction into Bo Melton. I think that he's a little bit discounted in this draft, obviously Rutgers, but uh, he he doesn't really have like the elite speed or someone like Jamison Williams has, for example, right where he's just going to blow right past you um, and you're going to, you know, give up 50 yards as a result, right? Like that's not really what Bo Melton is. He's not even per se Chris Olave in that regard. Like Steven said, he's a little bit of a poor man's Chris Olave, but what he does um, in terms of separation and how effectively he's able to just like get past uh, cornerbacks, even though he's not going to blow by you. uh, I think that he's just able to kind of like get downfield, 
easily and able to you know put himself in stride past a defender um and his separation just shows on film all the time that also mm. at the senior bowl um so i, I think he's going to be a guy that uh, a lot of people like and if the chargers are going for a receiver in this draft that isn't in round one um he's definitely a target that i'd like to have sometime in round three if he's there yeah, yeah. that's a great point because i think that's worth discussing i know everyone's kind of I would say 80, 85% of fans don't watch film or they don't really know outside, outside of the first round. And that's fine. Not everybody has time to do that. So if you're like, okay, we got to get Olave. We got to get Olave. If Williams isn't there, that's fine. We can get Olave. But it's worth having these discussions. And I love hearing about Bill Melton. You know, is he the same player as Olave? No. But if you can get, you know, let's say you go Zion Johnson at 17 and then you go Bill Melton later on, and that might be a way you can still work it without having to not reach for Olave, but not feel like you have to take him either. Yeah, I think it's a always an important conversation, right? Is is who can you get that can we can replicate later mm-hmm. on? And you know, I think it, you know, obviously the Chargers have not been highly connected to Kyer Elam, but I think Martin Emerson and Kyer Elam are very similar players. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, mm-hmm. with yeah. Elam being obviously the better prospect and more well-rounded prospect, but yeah. Martin Emerson's going to cost a third-round pick, and Elam's going to cost a first-round pick. So. Yeah. Uh, you know, there are similar conversations like that all across the board. I think it's also just from a team building standpoint, too, right? Because if the Chargers, let's say, do draft a Jamison Williams like we did in our last mock draft, um, you know, you could say a little bit of goodbye to Josh Palmer's production. Not that it's like going to go away, but it prevents him a little bit from having that true breakout season just because of how much is going to be. Uh, or how many targets are going to be invested in those top three receivers versus if you drop a Bo Melton, you can still kind of have him, uh, you know, get his time in terms of, you know, getting into an NFL system and have a potential breakout campaign for him while also allowing Josh Palmer in that example to be, you know, kind of your wide receiver three um, and then see, you know, how they both, you know, fare versus Josh Palmer. Obviously, if they draft James Williams is a very clear wide receiver four at that point. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. All right, let's get to the the next section here. Alrighty, my 50 to 41 at 50. I have a tie, Sumi, Rashad White. <laughs> Come on, Tyler. Call. Uh, <laughs> you, called, you called Rashad White your guy. Just just if you want to put well, him there, listen, put him it, there. I did I wanted to put them in the top in my rankings on the sheet. Resol's RB2, but I wanted to put both of them in here. Um, I like them a lot. 49, Abraham Lucas, 48, Josh Pascal, 47, Jalen Petre, 46, Cole Strange, 45, Martin Emerson. Um, higher on him, obviously, 44, Lewis Seen. 43, Bernard Ryman, 42, Drake Jackson, 41, Chad Muma, 40, Kyle Gordon, 39, Jaquan Brisker, 38, Marquise Hayes, 37, Travis Jones, 36, Nick Benito, 35, Nicole Dean, 34, Kair Elam, 33, Andrew Booth, injury, 32, David Ojabo, injury, 31, Trevor Penning, couldn't put him in the top 30. Like I said, there's that arbitrary <laughs> line. It's just that arbitrary line I couldn't cross. Yeah. It means nothing. Uh, couldn't do it. Yeah, that, that was the opposite for me, of course, having kept Booth and uh, Ojabo in my top 30. So uh, talk to us about Nick Bonita, man. Obviously, you know, we were both a little late there, but you uh, yeah. wanted to, to draft him in our mock draft and he wasn't there. So you're you're obviously a big fan of him. Why is that? Yeah, to me, there's just that there's a cluster of guys, kind of like the Mafia group, and why I don't like Boy Mafia as much as a cluster of really solid edge rushers. So like Benito, Jackson, Mafia, Sanders. Um, not quite as developed as Carlaptis or Ebiketti by any means. Um, Bonito stands out to me because I think when he shows the ability to bend, he can really bend. When yeah. he shows that ability, I think he's maybe the best or at least top three at it. Doesn't pop up 
all the time, but when he does, it really flashes. And to me, of that, those four guys that I mentioned, so Benito, Jackson, Mafe, Sanders, um, he's a better run defender, at least statistically, and I think also just on the field as well. His role is obviously very different as not just a pure edge rusher. Um, you know, the other three guys though that I mentioned, they all have the the one of the four worst run stop rates out of the 23 edge rushers, and Benito is eighth. So there's a bit of like a bump there. Um, sure. I can put him in. And then he's also just very he's built into a very diverse role for Oklahoma where he plays edge, sure, and there's Ben there, of course. But he's also moved to inside linebacker on third down, or he plays quarterback spy, and you pair that with his RAS score, and you know, so he's as a quarterback spy, as a guy who blitzes and rushes up the A gap, who covers whatever. It's a really intriguing option for a team and certainly for the Chargers. I don't think he'll be there in the third round, um, but it's I think he's a guy that and I, as someone mentioned earlier, I'm, you know, they're wary about drafting Oklahoma linebackers, but it's not quite that he's an edge rusher first who can also do some of these other things because he's so talented. So you know, he's also a guy that's got 75 or so coverage reps per year, I think, at Oklahoma. And they're, they're legit coverage ones. I've seen him go out and blow up a wide receiver screen before. So, you know, good numbers, good testing, good bend. Um, definitely a, a riser for me. A guy I've not put, I think what he's eight, edge eight for me. Yeah, he's edge eight for me ahead of Drake Jackson, just because numbers match up a little better for him against the run. He has that bend. Um, a really good player. I really like him. Yeah, you know, I've gotten the, the same comment about Oklahoma and Notre Dame, of course. And <laughs> yeah. we got to treat every prospect differently. I, you know, I totally understand, like, you, you would have hesitancy about drafting another Notre Dame defensive lineman. But every prospect is different. We got to scout the player, not the helmet or where they went to school and our past impressions of them. So uh, Bonino is definitely somebody that's interesting for me as well. Yeah, and you know, I got to apologize to Bo Melton because if I knew we were allowed to do 51 to 31 and be cowards, I would have put him <laughs> in, but you know. I, I think alone having Rashad White as an RB1A is bold enough. Um, but hey, I made the Google sheet, so I made the Google uh, slides. So. <laughs> my slides, my rules. So did you end up uh, Did you end up raising Brees Hall after rewatching him or, or kind of how did that uh, come to be? Yeah, so White was my RB1, but they had the same grade for me. So to me, it was just kind of like, pick one. Uh, to me, I think these two guys can both survive in the NFL because of their sort of separate traits. Brees Hall is the best like bullshit runner where it's just like, this all sucks in front of me, but I'm going to make it work somehow. <laughs> I think Brees Hall yeah. being able to do that means if he goes to a good line, I think he's going to be fantastic. And then Rashad White, I think will just always have a role in the NFL because he's a good receiver. The numbers back it up. The tape backs it up. Um, so he will always be an involved receiving back. So those two guys, one, I think more the runner, more and more the receiver. I think those two guys are just, again, the same grade for me. I couldn't figure out which one to pick um, for this. In my rankings, I did Rashad White, and I'll keep Rashad White there. But I want to get both on there because they have the same grade for me. Yeah, you know, you mentioned that elusiveness at the line of scrimmage, right? Like, I think that's something that we see in Rashad White. It's something that we see in Damian Pierce and Brees Hall. And that's one of the reasons why I like Keontae Ingram so much. I mean, he's not mm. in my top 10, but he's he's right outside of there. And that's why I've, you know, continually chosen him in a, in a mock draft situation. So we let me, uh, before we get to Alex's here, we all have a running back that we are very passionate about. Rashad White for Tyler, Damian <laughs> Pierce for me, Jerome Ford for Alex. Yeah. So the question here, I want to measure really how much do we like those players. So Chargers, third round running back. Yes or no? No. no. 
Yes. You would take Jerome Ford in the third. Fuck that. Dude, I know. <laughs> okay, look. Tyler. Look. But this is honestly not about Jerome Ford. This is like put Brees Hall or Rashad White, any of whoever our guys are in these situations. Guys, I don't know how to tell you this, but Larry Roundtree and Josh Rupert suck. <laughs> like, they're really bad. That I, I understand. I, I can't do it anymore. And yeah. So, so for me... Like, I don't think running back in the third round is a crazy thing. And I think the Chargers, if we're talking about, like, their first, third, and fourth round pick, I think running back not is guaranteed to be one of those picks, but I think running back is more likely than people think just because of the problems that they have back there. I mean, I'm just saying, like, every time I do a mock draft and I get to the third round, like, one of these (laughs) running backs is always, like, the second or third player available. And, you know, I think the consensus is a little bit lower on Rashad White and Jerome Ford. Mm -hmm than, you know, uh, uh, Brees Hall and and, uh, Damian Pierce, for example. But, you know, I I think it's an interesting scenario, right? Because, like, let's say, you know, you draft Trevor Penning or Zion Johnson in the first round. Then you get a running back in the third round. And now suddenly your rushing attack, ideally, is, you know, really taking that next step forward and taking pressure off of Justin Herbert, taking pressure off of Austin Eckler. Uh, ideally you take Zion Johnson in this, in this scenario, not Trevor Penning, but I think it is a scenario worth talking about because, you know, we have all these other needs that, you know, we want an edge rusher, want a corner. And personally, I don't think Brandon say would take a running back in the third round, but yeah. I, the value for the third round running backs, I think is really good. I think that's kind of yeah. where that position really kind of starts to, you know, kind of uh, jump off the board in mock drafts consistently. I, I just, I don't want to see Austin Eckler get beat up again and have nothing behind him. And that's how 2021 went as fantastic as he was. I think you could just tell by the end of the season, like he was a little worn down from everything to the point where a month before the season ended, he was like, guys, give me something. I'm talking about the running backs behind him. And Justin Jackson did a little bit towards the end of the year, but he's not here. Um, And his number is (laughs) taken. Yeah, and his number is taken by Michael Davis now. Uh, Weird number choices. But, um, yeah, no, I I just think that at this point, I I don't think running back in the third or fourth is is crazy just because they they have that need. Um, And I think you want the freshest Austin Eckler that you can possibly have by November and December. And I I do think drafting a playable running back um, is the way to do that. no 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 we're not (laughs) taking a running back in round three if we do that and i'm sitting next to arjun and they take a running back in the third round i will have to drive him home he will not be able to make it like this poor man will die it's not as much like like okay if there's a good running back there and i'm talking like one of my favorites maybe maybe but like no like i find somebody later i i get the analytics thing too but also we've been doing the it's all. It's almost like I don't trust Telesco to do it later because he's been doing it later the last two times. And he's yeah. fucked it up. So, you know, I do get the analytics view behind mm-hmm. it, and we talk about it in free agency. We talk about it, uh, you know, just with what the Chargers RB two spot has been. Um, it's not something that I would do, but I I just wouldn't write it off completely. I guess yeah. to me, like build the off. Duh, I guess we already know this, but build the offensive line, find the running backs much, 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 much later. Like even like Deshaun Corbin, or however you say his name, like that's a guy I think you could just put in the more of a gap scheme you guy the in college. Florida State running back. Yeah, so you know the guy that Kyle Hamilton picked off twice that was targeting Deshaun Corbin down the sideline. So that's a guy you can involve in the receiving game there in some go. way. Who is you know a pretty good yards after contact guy. I think 
Like I would, but that guy you can get in the sixth round or fifth round or whatever it is. Uh, yeah. Third round, man. Like I, if I swear to God, if they took a running back in the third round, I'd rather <laughs> retroactively go back and get Trevor Penning in the first. <laughs> okay, maybe not that. But... Maybe not that drastic. But you know, I think generally speaking, we're all on the same page that ideally you come away from the first three picks with an offensive line starter, a situational pass rusher, and probably a corner. I think those are those are the three like unquestioned needs. Um, but yeah. Um, all right, let's get to Alex's uh, fifty through thirty. Okay. Uh, I can do it, but you can also click through yourself to say. Oh, we can click through it ourselves? Oh, I was waiting for you to do it. Okay. No, you're good. I got you. All right. Uh, from 50 to 41, uh, I have number 50, Leo Chanel. I have 49, Louis Scene. Number 48, John Dotson. Number 47, Drake Jackson. Number 46, Brandon Smith. Number 45, nice. Tyler Smith. Number 44, Jaquan nice. Brisker. 43, Perion Winfrey. Uh, 42, Traylon Burks, number 41, Desmond Ritter, uh, and then number 40, James Cook, number 39, Kair Elam, 38, George Pickens, 37, Troy Anderson, 36, Trevor Penning, 35, Tyler Linderbaum, 34, Sky Moore, uh, 33, David Ajabo, 32, Travis Jones, and 31, Kyler Gordon. Um, yeah, I know you talked about Anderson before. I still have not watched him. Apologies there. I will say James Cook has moved down a bit for me. I was higher, like, because I watched the games of him, like, against Michigan, where he's catching the ball down the field, that he's, you know, yeah. stuttering go against guys. Like, wow. Mm. And then I was looking through reception rates and numbers and everything, and he caught, like, 16 passes in 2021. So I'm like, oh, wait. So I, I can see what he can do, but I realized, like, mm, right. he wasn't as involved as I thought he yeah. was. I only watched three, three games or whatever. Yeah, I mean, Georgia's backfield is kind of like a mishmash of guys so i mean it, it's hard yeah. to like ha- but this is kind of one where i think you're just projecting for the pros um and, totally and you do there you know will you go back to the other one tyler mm-hmm. oh we're talking 41 50 to 41 yeah, yeah. so perry on winfrey's not in the top 50 for you right tyler no Okay, so Alex, what uh, what about Perry and Winfrey? Is he defensive lineman number four for you? I think that he ended up being that. For me, there is a pretty big drop-off when we talk about Davis, Wyatt, uh, and Jones, and then to the, the next group of guys. Sure. I just think he's the guy that popped the most when you looked at the IDLs kind of after that group. Obviously, there mm-hmm. was how he performed at the Senior Bowl. Um, and I think you just kind of see that stature and sort of what he can be. Obviously, not the most complete guy in college, which is why he's you know far down from from where Travis Jones uh, and those guys are on this list. But I felt the need to include him just because of how I think teams are kind of going to value him in this draft in particular. I think you definitely see the juice and stuff like that. And I, Oklahoma's defensive line is a little weird because they are. Right so hyper aggressive when it comes to like stunts and slants and so it's not necessarily like a traditional defensive line what they're going to do in the nfl so i think a lot of pairing on winfrey is going to be a little experimental i think he probably has the steepest learning curve but the juice man is just there i mean a defensive tackle winning senior bowl mvp is just kind of crazy yeah oh i didn't know that's pretty cool all right steven you ready Sure. All right. So number 30, I mentioned them. I have Andrew Booth and David Ojabo. Could not move them past that uh, top 30 bar. Uh, 28, I have Brees Hall, the running back from Iowa State. 
27, George Pickens, the receiver from Georgia. 26, Nicobe Dean, the linebacker from Georgia. Jordan Davis, the defensive lineman from Georgia. <laughs> Leo Chanel, Trayvon Walker, the edge rusher from Georgia. And then Devontae Wyatt, the defensive lineman from Georgia. And Chris Olave, the receiver from Ohio State. So this is this became my Georgia page, as you can clearly see. <laughs> I, I was just, I thought you were going to say Chris Olave, receiver from Georgia. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you want to go yeah, through your 20 to 11 as well? Yeah, 20 to 11. I have Trent McDuffie, the cornerback from Washington. Uh, 19, Travis Jones, the defensive tackle from Con- uh, Connecticut. Kenyon Green, the interior offensive lineman from Texas AM. Kyrie Elam, the corner from Florida. George Karloftis at 16, uh, edge rusher mm-hmm. from Purdue. Then there's Daxton Hill. At wow. 15, uh, Jameson Williams, a receiver from Alabama at 14. Jermaine Johnson, the edge rusher from Florida State at 13. And Kyle Hamilton, safety from Notre Dame at 12. And Garrett Wilson, the receiver from Ohio State at number 11. Wow, okay, look at Travis Jones go. Jones was your yeah ideal one. He was my defensive tackle one, yep. Okay, and Karloftis hasn't moved other than the fact that Ojaba was hurt, yeah? No, I didn't change his grade at all. I did go back and watch him, and I still really like him. And you know, watching him get the Aiden Hutchinson treatment uh, was mm. pretty. It was interesting to see, particularly against Iowa. Um, but I, I didn't see enough to move him up or down, which is good. I still really like the player. Don't think he's a fit for the Chargers specifically, mm. um, but I, I do really like him. I think the Karloftis takes have been a little uh, crazy for me lately. Like I've seen mock drafts of him falling out of the first round and i think that's just oh, God, no <laughs> he should still be a first round player for sure um resident garrett wilson number one truther here how many wide receivers do you have ahead of him in your top 10 is it just drake london I just drake london yep okay yeah i just remember from when we did that episode but yeah yeah all righty still, still really like garrett wilson um people talking about trayvon walker uh, his grade is about 15 spots lower, actually. So uh, I moved him <laughs> up strictly because of potential and his athletic traits. So, yeah. Um, listen, like when you're talking about Trayvon Walker, I've said this before. I feel like with a perceived top 10 player, which Trayvon Walker is, I think you need those elite athletic traits. And then you also need elite tape and you also need elite uh, production. And mm-hmm. that's just not the case with Trayvon Walker. I think you see elite tape as a run defender but if you go on pro football focus and you filter out all the defensive linemen interior defensive tackles edge rushers that are in this draft class and you go to pass rush win rate trayvon walker is behind neil farrell Federian mathis and lebrian ray three nose tackles so <laughs> i get the trayvon walker athleticism i yeah. don't get the hype like i need to see more yeah. production out of a guy so to me like he he he's more of a project and so having him at 23 to me seems fair based off of what i see in terms of the lack of pass rush production and tape is he off your top 50 alex yeah i don't have him in the top 50 Dang, I thought Steven was the one who did like right. Yeah, I was about to so say. I'm not, the one, I'm not the one who hates him. Alex. Yeah, yell at Alex. I don't, I don't hate him. I mean, he was just like, I mean, when, when we're talking about him, he's like down a, a little bit. I mean, going back um, over here, like, what is he, edge five or six for you, Steven? Uh, edge six, yeah. Well, yeah, edge five because of Ojabo. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, I mean, I think when we did that episode, I had him as like edge 
seven or eight. And so I only have six edges in my top 50. So it was just like, I didn't really have a place for him. Um, I know he's going to go higher because obviously the, the, the Jacksonville buzz. And even if he doesn't go to Jacksonville, he's probably going to wind up as a top 10 pick just because of all the smoke around that. Um, yeah. But I, like Steven said, I think he's more project at this point. Um, and so for me, yeah, you can bet on those traits and it's subjective as to whose traits you want to bet on. Like we were just talking about with my 50 through 30 rankings. But um, yeah, he, he's just a guy where it's like, <laughs> I, I think also the, the Georgia thing kind of works against him where it's like, 100%. if if your pass rush win rate and all those statistics are like a little lower than some of the nose tackles and you were playing with all this elite talent who were supposedly supposed to free things up for you. It's like, yeah, that that to me doesn't really work out analytically too well for him. Yeah, I don't understand. 15th, like top 15, top 20. Sure. I'm about it. I'm about it. Uh, about one or two. <laughs> number one overall. Like uh -oh. you're going to take him over Aiden Hutchinson. Like what? what is the possible ceiling that Walker could reach where Hutchinson's floor isn't almost <laughs> reaching that ceiling as is? <laughs> Uh, I just I don't understand, and I like Walker more than both of you guys, not by much. Well, more than Alex, uh, but I don't understand like this top ten, top five, top one. It doesn't I can't believe he's a betting favorite to go number one. That doesn't make any sense to me. But not that he can't be a good player. It's just why would you go for that over you yeah. know like I like I'm not taking Samuel Cosme over Rashawn Slater. You know like maybe Cosme has a higher ceiling. Maybe. No way am I taking over Rashawn Slater last year just because of some perceived ceiling. Yeah, right. So I think like everybody, everybody is trying to compare, you know, Trent Baalke potentially taking Trayvon Walker to him taking Alden Smith over Cam Jordan. And it's like, well, Alden Smith had 40 pressures and like 11 sacks last year in college. Like, you know, Trayvon Walker just doesn't have that. And, you know, to Alex's point, like, I mean, he's playing across the center at some points. He's playing you know, as a three tech at some points, he's not getting to really pin his ears back, but when he does, man, it's just not pretty. Like it's not like, you know, Tyler and I uh, watched the Michigan offensive line around the same time. And we both graded the Michigan offensive lineman like terribly, <laughs> like super yeah. low. Yeah. And in Google sheet, Tyler wrote, man, we always hate Michigan offensive linemen. <laughs> and they like completely locked Trayvon Walker up, man. Like it, it, as a pass rusher, at least. So, I don't know, man. Like I'm behind. I'm about it if he's a top twenty pick, but in the top five, man, like over Kayvon Thibodeau and Aiden Hutchinson, even Jermaine Johnson, like I just I can't get there, man. I can't. Yeah, absolutely. All right, I'll jump to my thirty to twenty one. Thirty Christian Watson, twenty nine Arnold Ebiketti, twenty eight Leo Chanel, twenty seven Dax Hill, twenty six Sky Moore, twenty five George Pickens, twenty four Devontae Wyatt, twenty three Jahan Dotson, twenty two Chris Olave. 21 Tyler Linderbaum. That's receiver central right there. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 20 Kenyon Green. 19 Jordan Davis. 18 Drake London. 17 Trevon Walker. 16 Traylon Burks. 15 Jameson Williams. 14 Garrett Wilson. 13 George Karloftis. 12 Devin Lloyd. 11 Trent McDuffie. Yes. So there's a reason Traylon Burks is wide receiver three. Um, I did go back and watch that video that Brett Coleman put out. And it's one thing to talk about. So the... The rumor, the suggestion is that their Traylon Burks showed up to the combine out of shape, and they don't know why. What was the was the reason for that? I don't know. Maybe he was just really sick for a month. I have no idea. But it's Brett Coleman 
who I think is a guy who doesn't go out and just spread rumors and do whatever for hot clicks. And it's also not like if it was during the combine or after the combine happened and you're just trying to ride the wave of the news, why did Traylon Brooks not test very well? And you're trying to get clicks that way. Maybe that's kind of fishy, but this is in the middle of a wide receiver rankings video a month and a half later. Like, and he suggested it's a legitimate problem. So I don't want to sit here and say that I know Brooks is out of shape or that he's lazy or anything. But to me, like Garrett Wilson was graded higher for me. I just put Traylon Brooks ahead of him because of the potential. Jameson Williams graded the same, but I put Brooks ahead because of just a little bit more potential. And I do think Brooks, hey, could be wide receiver one, but he's moved out of wide receiver one for me. It sounds lame because of that rumor, but it's because of the source of who it came from or, or from Brett Coleman, that is. I don't know who told him. But that does really worry me. So Burks is my wide receiver three right now. It wouldn't have made a difference. Like it, it was, you know, Burks, Wilson, Williams. They're right next to each other. So Burks just moved two spots down. It's still wide receiver three. But you have to take everything into consideration when you're doing evaluation. If someone tells you that this person showed up out of shape to the combine significantly, and it's pretty well substantiated that he is, he did, and it's a problem, I got to take that into account. So Burks is wide receiver three for me. You know, it could be nothing. But, you know, we, we gather all the information we can, and that's a piece of the puzzle. Yeah, um, I think that's the thing with Burks is, like, he's probably somewhere between wide receiver three, wide receiver six or seven on average. But I think the difference between being wide receiver three or wide receiver six in this class, like, isn't a lot. Or, you know, just in general, like, I think it could be very slim margins that separate Traylon Burks from being, you know, I, I had him around 40 Versus having him here, like that's just the number of receivers and other prospects. Um, I still think he's going to be a really solid player. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think a lot of people are like looking at his combine time. And, you know, the issue for me is the showing up out of shape. But yeah. I never watched his film and said, man, I wish this guy were faster. I wish he were, you know, running a 4-4 four, right. four instead of a 4-5. So um, I just think, you know, he lacks the refinement in other areas. And I think a lot of his tape again you know at arkansas is here's a bubble screen here's a jump ball here's a go route here is a slant so i think he's very similar to dk metcalf coming out of college where there's just not a ton of refinement and again if you get him in the right situation that is going to say hey dk metcalf you can run go balls we're just going to throw you a shit ton of go balls and we'll make it work then obviously you, you can get a good receiver but i mean a lot of nfl teams really tend to value guys who can run every route in the route tree right and you know i, I don't know if Traylon burks can do that right away yeah no i agree so yeah wilson was my highest graded anyway so now he's my wide receiver one williams two kind of tie grade but you know because the information brooks is three <laughs> there we go so gary wilson wide receiver one two people two out of three there go. recommended it and wilson's number two for me so yeah, yeah fantastic player man he really is <laughs> like i think you know, there's a lot of conversations that, you know, I'm not saying any of these players are Jamar Chase by any means right. or, you know, even like a, a Kyle Pitts kind of receiving prospect, but they're all really freaking good, man. I think London, Wilson, Williams all have first round grades for me. And mm. I think all three deserve to be top 15 picks. If we're, yeah. I'm especially, especially with the way that the receiver market has been booming these last couple of weeks. Right. 
All right, let's uh, let's get to Alex's 30 through 11 here. All right, uh, 30 to 21, I have Nevada's Carson Strong at 30. I have 29, Andrew Booth, 28, Jalen Petre, 27, Brees Hall, 26, Christian Watson, 25, Nicobe Dean, 24, Kenyon Green, 23, Quay Walker, 22, Chris Olave, 21, Jerome Ford, uh, 20, Devontae Wyatt, 19, Jermaine Johnson, 18, Daxton Hill, 17, Trey, Mc, uh, Trey McDuffie, God, uh, Trey McDuffie, <laughs> 16, George Karloftis, 15, Malik Willis, 14, uh, Iki Iquanu, 13, Derek Stingley, 12, Jordan Davis, 11, Devin Lloyd from Utah. So we have not talked about quarterbacks at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, so Alex, I'll let you uh, talk about Carson Strong here because he's your QB1, right? Um, so I went back and forth on it. He's, he's, he is my QB one, but like, I do have to wait anything against him. Cause he doesn't have that condition. Um, you know, that kind of is, is, is degenerative. Oh, Alex does not love him. Some Carson's uh, that Carson, Carson strong, <laughs> Carson strong will be better than Carson Wentz. I, I guarantee you in a year, but, uh, no, I, uh, <laughs> I, I do like Carson strong quite a lot. And I think without the knee thing, I would have him as QB one, but, I think Malik Willis's potential is kind of undeniable at this point. And I do think he has those like freak physical traits. He's like, not that I want to say he's like a mesh of like Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson. Uh, Cause that sounds like, you know, something that's crazy to say, but like that is kind of what you're aiming for him athletically in terms of his arm strength, in terms of what he's able to do on the ground, obviously. Uh, so yeah, I did kind of weigh Malik Willis a little bit higher, um, but yeah, no, I, I, I love Carson strong. I don't get why there's not more buzz about him. And we're just like, Oh, Kenny Pickett did a cool fake slide one time. Uh, <laughs> like, and Carson strong. Meanwhile, is just like zipping the ball in there, like weirdly similar to Herbert in some instances. Uh, and you know, just throwing 60 yard bombs down the field to guys named Romeo dubs. So like, I, I do think he should get, uh, more love in this class. I get why he isn't. And I get why this class as a whole, Uh, when it comes to the quarterbacks, is not getting a lot of love. But I almost think it's one of those things where it's become so trashed that it's kind of become like underrated in a way. Um, Because I do think if you are a team that needs a quarterback, not a guy that I'm going to like love taking in the first round, of course, like Trevor Lawrence um, and, you know, uh, Justin Fields from last year or Mac Jones, Zach Wilson, all those guys. Uh, But I do think that, you know, these guys, yeah, I think Carson Strong has QB1 potential. I think Desmond Ritter, if he goes to the right team, hopefully Seattle doesn't get him killed. Um, but I think he's a very cerebral quarterback as well. Um, and so, yeah, no, I, and obviously Malik Willis is just a freak athlete as a whole. As Thomas points out in the chat, I think um, people are going to talk about his knee issue and the fact that he's not going to be a mobile quarterback at the NFL, which is sort of where the game is trending in a way. And I think that's another reason he's not higher. Um, but I, I will say that he's a quarterback that if you get the right offensive line around him, I think he navigates the pocket well enough and knows his strengths and weaknesses to the point where lack of mobility isn't much of a concern for me. Uh, Jerome Ford at 21. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, well, Tyler he, hates it so much. <laughs> I know he does. Uh, he's, he's, mean, he's RB7 for me, by the way. Just There we go. So you raised him. You raised yeah, him. Yeah. Uh, but I don't have him at 21, that's for sure. <laughs> I mean, he's RB1 for me. I, I had, yeah. uh, you know, whenever I have a, a running back I'm super passionate about, I'm going to put them higher than they should be. Uh, <laughs> I, did this, I did this with Khalil Herbert last year. 
he ended up at number 40 for me uh and then went in the sixth round so you know i hate shit on that one but uh, then people were like wait khalil herbert's actually really good uh now he's probably projected to be the bears running back one i assume this year eventually and when he kind of gets into that role so uh that is a lot of betting on potential um there when it comes yes. to jerome ford but i do really like his high-end athleticism and just what he shows from run to run his elusiveness um so now that that is why i do have him in this range yeah, no, oh, I'm awesome. glad that Tyler raised him so that we're not yeah. one in 14. <laughs> in right. But... And, I, and I also just think like putting Jerome Ford 21 doesn't mean like, oh, you should take him in the first round. Like we obviously talked totally. about running back positional value too. And yeah. so, you know, I don't think there's probably going to be a running back that ends up going in the first round and really yeah. anyway. Yeah. Probably a lot of like maybe mid second round guys. Um, so Jerome Ford's going to go in like the third round. But if we're just talking purely as prospects, like, you do think he's the best running back in this class, and that does count for something, even if running backs are we hate them. <laughs> yeah. Even if we hate them and we don't want to take them in the third round, like you know, I, I do think there is something to having that positional value uh and, and having just you know the, the it's important to have running backs as the Chargers learned with the running backs behind Eckler this year. Okay, so I didn't realize you had Malik Willis had 15, but um yeah, so I, I think you know, in similar conversation, right? I think Kenneth Walker and Jerome Ford are very similar for me. Um, obviously, Jerome Ford, obviously, Alex thinks that Jerome Ford is the the uh, workhorse and Kenneth Walker is kind of the discount version. But um, I think those two players are very similar. They've got similar strengths, similar weaknesses, but I do like both of those players for sure. Um, all right, let's get to our top 10s because we're running out of time here. So uh, top 10 for me, I have Devin Lloyd, number nine, Drake London, eight, Charles Cross. Seven, Sauce Gardner. Six, Kayvon Thibodeau. Uh, five, Zion Johnson. Four, Evan Neal. Three, Derek Stingley. Two, Iki Iquanu. And universally, number one for me is Aiden Hutchinson. See, I'm not a total Utah homer. I could have put Devin Lloyd pretty easily in my top five, <laughs> but put him at number 10. I feel like that's pretty reasonable. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah. That's I mean, I have, him, I have him at 11, so I think it's very reasonable to put him at number 10. I, I'm surprised you resisted the temptation to put him top five or <laughs> even number one. If you put him number one, I would have let you have it for a day. So, yeah, I no, he's definitely it. a good player. He's I think I have 11 first round grades this year. Devin Lloyd is one of them. Uh, he didn't make my top 10 because he's a linebacker because I pushed him out a little bit. Um, you know, but it is what it is. All righty. Um, but that's a good list. Uh, I like seeing Derek Stingley there. Obviously, number three, not bad. Yeah, uh, my top ten, just like so, no surprises here. It's... Yeah, sorry, just really quickly. There's apparently some buzz recently that the uh, Giants like Derek Stingley a lot. So, mm. I don't want to see that. No, no, that's not <laughs> I don't want to see it either. Well. Uh, okay, ten. Kyle Hamilton, nine. Zion Johnson, eight. Jermaine Johnson. Jermaine Johnson is the only one without a first round grade who made my top ten, but he's an edge rusher, so there it is. Seven, Charles Cross. Six, Ahmad Garner. I, I keep saying Ahmad Garner instead of Sauce, but whatever. Number well, five, his name Derek is Ahmad. Yeah, true, right. Uh, four, Kevon Thibodeau. Three, Ike McQuanu. Two, Evan Neal. One, Aiden Hutchinson. Um, oops, I put who put I put NC State for Evan Neal as his position. Uh, he oops. just plays NC State, well, I guess. <laughs> well, I think, I think you put Ike Aquanu and you didn't put a college, yeah. So, the, yeah, you, you know, it just so. listen, man, it's like the last thing we've done after so much work, yeah. Um, I mean, you've ranked like 800 players, so I think we'll let this one slip up se 700. <laughs> oh, jeez, <Soft> <laughs> like um, yeah, so. 
I think most of our tens are going to be pretty similar, except I had Kyle Hamilton outside of my top ten. Sure, you have Kayvon Thibodeau at four. I'm at mm-hmm. six. You know, no real surprises that. here. No. Uh, let's get to Alex's really quickly to see if there is a surprise. Uh, I don't think there's too many surprises for me. Most of the same guys we've been talking about. I have uh, 10, Drake London, 9, Kyle Hamilton, 8, Zion Johnson, 7, Jameson Williams, 6, Kayvon Thibodeau, uh, 5, Evan Neal, 4, Garrett Wilson, 3, Charles Cross, 2, Sauce Gardner, and number 1, Aiden Hutchinson. So if you couldn't tell that Alex's favorite position Receivers. was receiver but before now, <laughs> then you can by watching this list. <laughs> See, but I, I went into the process like, no, I'm not going to put 10 wide receivers in the top 50 again, and then I, I put nine again. So, I mean, <laughs> uh, in the creature of habit, I guess. But, no, I, I, I really just liked it. Jameson Williams is a guy that moved up for me over time, uh, you know, as I got used to him and started watching more of his tape. Uh, I always had Drake London. I think initially it was wide receiver two and became wide receiver three. But yeah, Garrett Wilson, I think, is a stud. Not that I would put him anywhere near how I thought Jamar Chase was last year. I had Jamar Chase graded as the number two overall prospect, I think, uh, behind Trevor Lawrence. I kind of wish in retrospect I had him number one. Uh, but <laughs> uh, no, I, I do really love Garrett Wilson. I just think not that he's going to be Jamar Chase, but definitely the guy with the most potential kind of day one ability in this class, in my opinion. Yeah. All right. So that's our top 50. Hopefully you guys enjoyed it. Uh, it looks like Kapil is, you know, kind of talking about how this works in draft rooms. I think it's a lot, it's a very similar uh, process. I mean, it's a lot of collaboration. It's a lot of watching tape. It's a lot of, you know, talking, obviously NFL teams have way more access in time than, than we do, but uh, I think it's a really fun exercise. So uh, unfortunately running out of time, this went a lot longer than I thought it would initially, but it's all good. So, uh, Alex, final thoughts before we head out for the evening. Uh, yeah, I, I think the idea of the draft room is funny because if me and Tyler were in the draft room and we had the control of the fourth round pick, it would just be me and him fighting over if Jerome Ford is good or not. and if he, or if he's not. <laughs> So I think that would go very well. So thankfully, we are not in charge of the Chargers draft. We'll just be reacting to it. Uh, also, fuck Toronto. All right. Yeah, we got the, the Sixers potentially uh, pulling off a sweep of the Toronto Raptors tonight. Tomorrow night? Tomorrow. Uh, Saturday. Saturday. All right. Uh, Tyler, final thoughts, man. I am very happy to be wrapped up with this. I'm sure my big board will change the second I log off. But for the most part, we're all done. <laughs> we're almost there. I feel good. This is the most I've definitely invested in the draft study before. So hopefully they draft somebody that I know something about. Um, certainly at 17 and, of course, on in round three, round four, round five. As long as it's not drum forward. had to get it in there had to get in there i appreciate the commitment there so uh yes i am definitely glad that we are uh, approaching the end of this process so we have uh two more episodes before we are reaching draft night and then we're gonna have a ton of draft coverage coming your guys' way uh you know like we've said before alex is going to be live streaming we'll be at the draft recording after the fact at the blue wire studio so Uh, Lots of exciting uh, time and content to come. Be sure to subscribe on whatever platform you are listening or watching to this show. We really appreciate all of that. Uh, And leave us a rating or review. So uh, appreciate you guys' time tonight. Those of you who stayed for the whole hour and a half stream, really uh, appreciate the support there. So that's going to do it for us today, guys. We will see you on Saturday for a Q&A and then Sunday for our next episode. Talk to you later. Bye.